Today we come to the end of this series that I've called With Us, and we've been thinking about the fact that Jesus had a physical body, that he was both fully and completely God, everything that God is present in a physical body like ours, fully God and fully human. And we've talked about what that means because sometimes we don't really grapple with that, that Jesus had physical needs like he slept and we could have said he ate, we know that as well, that he wept, he had emotions like we do. We talked about the fact on Friday night that he was born and on last Sunday that Jesus' physical body actually died. These very physical acts of birth and death. Now, we've experienced much of that ourselves, right? I mean, we've dealt with tears and our physical needs. Every single one of us was born into this life. And even though we haven't died, most of us have walked through the process of death with someone that we love, someone in our lives. And we know that we're going to face that too. But today we come to a very physical act in the life of Jesus that goes in a direction that we haven't yet gone or have seen anyone go through and that's resurrection. We've sung about it already this morning. We've sung about the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, sometimes we think about that and people have lots of questions about this, okay? And one of the things that people ask me frequently is, okay, James, what happens when we die? And Unfortunately, Scripture doesn't give us a lot of answers to that question, right? I mean, we have really clear answers that Jesus is going to return, and after that happens, there's uh, heaven and earth coming together. We have all this in Revelation, uh, a picture painted of what's going to happen then. But between our deaths and Jesus' return, we're told a few little things, but not a lot. And so people will ask me, well, what about these experiences that people have that are like near-death experiences, right? So they, they're on an operating table or they're in an emergency room or maybe somewhere where there's, they've had an accident and suddenly they have an experience that they're out of their bodies, right? They may even be looking down on themselves on an operating table. They see a bright light. They may meet people who have passed on. They may have experiences that are unexplainable. And people will say to me, well, what about that, James? Is that the way it's going to be? And the answer to that question for me is, I don't know, okay? I don't know. I don't know how the process of death or near death affects us physically or mentally. I just don't know the answers to all that. And I certainly can't base my faith on what some other person has gone through. So what do we know? Here's what I know for sure. That there's one person who has actually physically died and been raised to new life. Not just life where they're going to die again, but for eternal life, and that person is Jesus. And so I want to talk a little bit about that story today that we find in John chapter 20. We've been in John a good bit in this series, and today we continue in that. So in John chapter 20, we pick up the story that we left off last Sunday that Jesus physically died. Like, right, his heart stopped beating and he was dead. Dead to the point that they took him down from the cross and Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus' body, they prepared it for burial, and they laid it in a brand new tomb that no one else had ever been in. And then the stone was rolled in front of that tomb. We also know from the other Gospels that that stone was sealed so that it was clear that no one could possibly disrupt it. And then the story picks up in John chapter 20, Verse 1, it's Sunday morning, it's very early, and this is what happens. Early on the first day of the week, 
While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now we have to put ourselves in Mary's mindset. We know the rest of the story. So we sort of think, okay, it would be obvious that well, Jesus has been raised from the dead, but it wasn't obvious to her because people weren't raised from the dead in that day any more than they are in our day. And so she went to the tomb, saw the stone was rolled away, and her immediate assumption is someone has stolen his body. All these people are so against Jesus that they killed him, and now they want to desecrate his dead body. Someone has taken that body out of the grave. So she went back to the rest of the disciples and told them what she had seen. The stone has been rolled away from the tomb. And that set off a foot race between two of Jesus' disciples, Peter and the disciple Jesus loved, as is described in this gospel, and we assume that to be John, the person who's writing. They set off for the tomb for they, because they want to see for themselves. Verse 3, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Now, the thing that John wants us to know first is that he's a faster runner than Peter, right? He wants to make it clear that he got there first. And he says he, he bent down, and it must have been a low entrance to this tomb because this is mentioned a couple times in this passage. He bent down and looked in, and what did he see? John saw the place where Jesus' body had been, and he saw the strips of linen that his body had been wrapped in. Now, that was a common practice, right? When someone died, they took the body, wrapped it in strips of linen. It sort of reminds us of what we talked about Friday night, right? That Mary wrapped the baby in strips of cloth, which also was traditional. So you're born and you die, and it's very similar treatment. In the tomb, Jesus is laid. But she sees that those strips of cloth are laid to the side, and there is no... Body. Now, John mentions this a couple times, and I think he does it for a reason. He's reminding us, okay, if this had been a grave robbery, if people had broken into this tomb and took Jesus' body, they just would have taken it and gone. They would have not taken the time to unwrap Jesus' body first and make sure that everything is neatly laid to the side where the body had been. He's pointing out to us this is not a grave robbery. Something else has happened. Okay. Something else is going on there. And then finally, Peter catches up. Verse 6. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. So again, John is reminding us this is all neatly arranged, right? Peter just, he, like Peter always does, he rushes right into things and he's in the middle of it and he sees the same thing John has seen from the outside, except he also sees the cloth that would have been over Jesus' face, all laying there. This is not a grave robbery is what John is reminding us. And then key verse, verse 8. Finally, the other disciple, this is John, who had reached the tomb first, again a reminder, he was faster, also went inside. Key phrase, he saw and believed. Now the question is, what did he believe? Well, he, he believed Jesus' body's gone, right? It's not there. 
But I think it's more than that. I think John is telling us in this moment, it struck him, Jesus has been raised from the dead. And in fact, the next verse tells us that the disciples hadn't understood the prophecies of the Old Testament that pointed to resurrection. They didn't get that those prophecies were talking about Jesus being raised from the dead. This was something different. And now suddenly it all comes rushing back and John gets that. He saw and believed. Now, Peter and John in that moment decide it's time to go back and, and figure out what's going on. What do we do next? But Mary stayed. And this is what she experienced beginning in verse 11. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Now, when I hear that verse, I think John is saying something, especially to his Jewish readers, that they would have thought of immediately. So you've got this, this uh, slab that has probably been carved out of the stone where bodies were laid. And on either end of it, what do you have? An angel. Any Jew in the first century would have immediately thought of the most holy place in the temple where the Ark of the Covenant, the, the dwelling place of God, had been placed. And what that would have been was a long slab of wood for the Ark of the Covenant and two angels on either end. This is pointing to the fact that God himself was present in that place. Verse 13. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? What are you upset about? She's still thinking about grave robbery. They've taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. She doesn't have an explanation for this. Jesus' body should have been there, but it's not. And then she gets her explanation in verse 14. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Mary's still thinking, okay, Jesus' body is gone and the only reasonable explanation is that his body has been stolen. Someone has come in and taken away his body and no telling what they're going to do now. But she sees Jesus. Now she doesn't know it's Jesus. That seems to be something that happens after Jesus was raised from the dead, that people see him, but at first they don't know him. Maybe they don't expect it, right? And so the brain tries to process and it takes a few minutes. But it seems to me that it points to the unique nature of Jesus' resurrection. When Lazarus is raised from the dead, everybody knows who it is. But Lazarus died again. When Jesus is raised, it is complete final, permanent resurrection. It's of a different order than anything that had happened before. And so Jesus' body is somehow <clears throat> changed from what it was in the past to the point that at first people don't know who he is until verse, uh, verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. When Jesus calls her name, she knows who he is. Now, Jesus has talked about in, in other places in John that when, when the sheep hear the master, when they hear the shepherd, and they, the shepherd calls their name, they respond. And this is the fulfillment of that. 
when Mary hears Jesus call her name, she knows. She knows who he is. And then we bring this to a close in verse 17. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. And I don't know if she's hanging on to him physically or if this is figuratively, but he says this, do not hold on to me for I've not yet ascended to the Father. There's something yet to happen. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that, she, that he had said these things to her. Now, one of the striking things about this story is that Jesus chooses Mary to be the first person to announce that she has seen him alive. She is the first person to see Jesus alive. She's the first person to go and tell someone that Jesus is raised from the dead. A woman who had been possessed by evil spirits. A woman who would not be trusted in a court of law because no woman was. And yet Jesus chose her to announce the good news of resurrection and that he's going to ascend into heaven. Now, our faith as followers of Jesus Christ is built on this central event that Jesus was actually raised from the dead. His physical body, born, lived, died, completely dead, raised from the dead. That's part of who we are as followers of Jesus. And the New Testament latched onto that. All the writers of the New Testament depend on this fact. We get a great example of that in Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica when he says these words to them. He wants them to be different from everyone else. And he says it this way. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We are different from everyone else. Why? Because of this. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So everyone who's died is going to be brought back. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive and are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Paul says, I don't want you to grieve like everyone else because the world believes when we die, we're dead, end of story. But that is not what we believe as Christians. As followers of Jesus Christ, we believe that Jesus' physical body was raised from the dead and that changes everything from this point forward. That changes eternity for us. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we are confident that we too can be raised from the dead as well and that we will live forever with God. And that when Jesus returns, that's when it's going to happen. You know, I read that passage from 1 Thessalonians a lot at gravesides or in funerals. And the reason I read it is because Paul is speaking to us in that moment. I don't want you to grieve the, like the rest of mankind who have no hope. You see, the lesson that we get from this passage is that Jesus shows us the path 
to what's next. Without Jesus, we don't have that. But because Jesus was raised from the dead, he shows us where we're headed. He shows us where we're going. And where we're going is eternal life. And so we as Christians, we don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. You see, we are a people of hope. And it's not hope just because there was a baby born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. That's, that's part of the story, but it's really only the beginning of the story. It points to Jesus' life, and it points to his death, and it points to his resurrection. And all of that gives us hope. Hope for ourselves and hope to share with the people around us. And so at Christmas time, when we're often thinking about babies born and celebrating that, we should also be thinking about resurrection and that Jesus physically with us, with a human body, also in that human body died and was raised from the dead and so offers us the path what's next. And even though we don't know all the details, and maybe we'd like to know more than Scripture gives us about what happens after we die, the point for us is death is not final. There is something more. There is resurrection. And so to each other, we come to this place and we celebrate our hope. And as Jerry's already mentioned, that's when we come together on Sundays to worship, because that is the day on which Jesus was raised from the dead. And so our gathering on Sunday is always a celebration of resurrection. And it's always a way that we look forward to when we too will be raised from the dead. And so we gather as a people of hope. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for the hope that we have only in Jesus. Because without that hope, death would be hopeless. Death would be final. And so God, on this Sunday, on this first day of the week, the same day of the week on which Jesus was raised, we celebrate birth and life. And even if we grieve death, we look forward to resurrection. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and worship some more.